Good morning. My name is Scott Gillen. I'm one of the associate pastors here from Lover's Lane, United Methodist Church. Welcome to Lover's Lane this morning. Welcome to Thrive Worship in particular uh, for this Sunday after Easter. We're in the Easter season, uh, just like Christmas is not a day. Easter is not a day. We're in the Easter season this morning. We're starting a brand new sermon series uh, called I Am Yours, uh, where we are going to look at the statements that Jesus makes in the Gospels, the I Am statements. Uh, in the Gospels, where Jesus tries to explain uh, who he is as the Messiah, who God is in light of who Christ is uh, through these parables, through these images um, that are at times kind of simple and at times not so simple. Uh, today we're going to start with his statement that he is the good shepherd that we find in the Gospel of John chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 11. So if you have your Bible with you, if you got it on your phone, you can look up John chapter 10, verse 11, and uh, we'll just dig right in. We're going to start with the 11th verse. Jesus says this to the crowd that's gathered there, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. That's a pretty, pretty verse. Let's hear some headlines to consider in light of this verse of Scripture. Smoking gun evidence that 9-11 was an inside job. Why people think Sandy Hook is a hoax. Government weather manipulation exposed. Hillary caught on tape birthing alien life form. Ooh, you've piqued my interest. CIA analyst, colon, we're all going to die. It's positive. My personal favorite, Chuck Norris takes on chemtrails. Now, you have to go deep YouTube to find that one. If these sound ridiculous, it's because they are. These are titles from uh, popular YouTube videos from a channel called InfoWars. Have you heard of this? Uh, run by Alex Jones. Uh, let's look at, there's good old Alex. Hey, Alex, how you doing? That is a legitimate picture of Alex Jones, who runs an alternative news site. An alternative news site. Are we getting the streamers? Are we getting the air quotes? Alternative news site uh, called InfoWars. He's known for his angry, over-the-top style and views that range from odd to absurd to funny uh, to actually quite offensive and downright dangerous. And before we can write, let's put his picture up there one more time. I just want to this was, God, look at that. That's a man right there. That's a man who knows what he's doing with tinfoil on his head. Um, before you write him off and laugh at him and say his views are inconsequential, I want you to know those six YouTube titles that I read to you earlier, those six videos have garnered more than six million views on YouTube alone. That doesn't count the views that he gets on Infowars.com. Of course, if you visit his website, you will find that not only does he sell uh, conspiracies and crackpot theories, he also sells uh, supplements like the real red pill for real men uh, that, that it, it supports 
uh, optimal brain function. I'm sure that it does. Uh, he sells that. He sells home accessories. He sells survival kits. And guess what? Everything is on sale, right? Don't you just want to go and buy everything up? Alex Jones is crazy, but he is far from the first person to profit from fear-mongering and false claims, right? I mean, this has been going on for a long time. We know about fraudulent faith healers. We know about multi-level marketing schemes or pyramid schemes. We know about snake oil salesmen back in the wild, wild west. The list could go on and on. There have always been those who try to manipulate others into giving up their money or their resources or themselves, and this manipulation is born out of getting people to believe that they have woken up to something that everyone else just can't seem to see. For instance, the Church of Scientology, we're familiar with this one. If you've never seen the HBO documentary called Going Clear, the Church of Scientology has built a small empire since it was founded by a failed science fiction author named L. Ron Hubbard in 1954. Followers try to go clear through a series of tests where they hold a couple of metal sticks and something happens, I don't know, uh, and they can spend an estimated $128,000 just for the right of living this enlightened life. Uh, the Flat Earth Society, this is uh, real photographic evidence they provided me on their website. The Flat Earth Society, which maintains that we don't live on a globe but on a flat disk. If you're a part of this society, it's going to be a rough morning. Um, they are seeing an increase in membership and support in recent years as more and more people begin to ask the question, can we really trust sneaky government entities like NASA and weird things like photographic proof that the Earth is actually a globe? Uh, and then just recently, Netflix released a documentary called Wild Wild uh, Country. Uh, maybe you've seen it. This tells the story of a failed religious commune in rural Oregon named the Rajneeshpuram uh, community, which was led by a spiritualist from India named Bagram. And the members were expected to wear maroon clothing, gigam, um, work tirelessly for the good of the community, and take part in bizarre group meditation. I'm going to use that term loosely. Meditation rituals where clothes and social norms were rarely present. What leads people to believe that L. Ron Hubbard figured out the meaning of life? Or that the earth is flat? Or that a new age guru is worth dying over? Or that Chuck Norris has finally found proof of the chemtrail conspiracy? Because we don't want to be sheep, do we? Who wants to be a sheep? Nobody does. We don't want to feel like we've had the wool pulled over our eyes somehow. We hate this idea that somehow in some way we don't see things the way they really are. And so at our weakest, we can begin to listen to even the most insane ideas because, you know, the more you think about it, the more you listen to it, what if they're right, right? Jesus is speaking to a similar group of people with similar fears uh, when he begins this conversation in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. In the chapter that happens before, in chapter 9, the chapter that, that is before this one, Jesus heals a person of blindness. Uh, he, he literally cures their blindness, and he's immediately brought under investigation because there are religious leaders who just cannot accept the fact that this man, this supposed Messiah, had the power to perform this kind of a miracle, or, or if he did have that power, then something weird or strange or dark was going on, something sinister was going on that they just couldn't see. And in the verses that follow the ones that we just read, uh, they're so suspicious of Jesus, this supposed Messiah, that they are about to stone him for blasphemy. They're about to stone him for blasphemy. They, they say, tell us plainly, Jesus, tell us if you are the Messiah. 
They want to hear straight from his mouth, plain as English, what's really going on here. They're terrified that somehow they're missing something, that someone has made a fool of them. And Jesus says, I have told you plainly, but you just haven't listened. Jesus tells them about what it means to be the Messiah, what it means to be God in Christ, by telling them about what it means to be a good shepherd in the verses we just heard. He lays it out for them, and they miss it. So let's... let's root ourselves in those words and try to understand, okay, what is Jesus saying plainly in that scripture that we read this morning? When Jesus talks about himself as a good shepherd, he talks about us as though we are sheep. And I think this is where a lot of us immediately uh, have some friction with this text because who wants to be a sheep, right? Really, nobody wants to be a sheep. Nobody wants to be thought of as a sheep. You know, wake up, sheeple. We've heard this, right? Um, I think that's what his listeners probably struggled with as well. They didn't want to be treated like sheep. They wanted to be treated like people who were enlightened and who were aware and who could see things. And immediately, though, Jesus challenges these assumptions that we have about what it means to be a shepherd and what it means to be a sheep. Because I think most of us, when we hear the term sheep referred to as people, um, or people referred to as sheep, we, we have this connotation that somehow the sheep are there to be used and abused by the shepherd. They're there to benefit the shepherd, and the shepherd's job is to lord over the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's not what we expect. $250. Keep that number in mind. $250. Do you know what that is? That's how much it costs to buy a sheep off the internet. I looked it up. I did. I Googled it. I'm a city boy, but I know how to Google, right? (laughs) How many of you would give up your life for $250? Anybody? Jesus says that God would literally step in the way of a wolf trying to kill a sheep. $250. In Jesus' day, that would have been about 15 silver coins. So two sheep would have been worth about 30 silver coins. Now, where have we heard the term 30 silver coins before? Hmm. Easter, Easter, Easter. Let's be honest. Most of us are not going to stop a wolf from getting at the sheep, are we? Maybe, maybe you say, but Scott, I mean, you know, the shepherd loves the sheep. You know, the shepherd uh, has great care for the sheep. I have a dog. I have a dog. Dogs are kind of like sheep. They're both animals. They're both mammals. They both have fur. I'm going to stop naming things. It's going to get weird for a while. Um, dogs are kind of like sheep, right? Um, we've had a dog for over six years. We love her a lot, most of the time, except when it storms. It's been rough. She's been in the crate a lot this week. Pray for her. Um, I promise you, I promise you, I love this dog. I promise you, we're out for a walk. I'm walking my dog, and a wolf shows up. That dog's on her own. The dog is so on her own. In fact, I am pushing the dog towards the wolf and running the other way. That's that's what's happening. And you can laugh at me, and you can think that's terrible. You would do the exact same thing. Don't lie to your pastor, okay? If a wolf shows up, we're not saving the dog. I watch Old Yeller. I see the end of it. I think that's pretty prudent, all things considered, you know? That's how I think. Y'all think I'm a terrible person. I'm not. I'm just being a realist, right? It's a dog. It's not, it's not a person. It's not me. I, I'm going to be selfish in that moment. That's the reality, all right? And, and you can hate me for it, but that's the reality. The point of this sermon is, I love Old Yeller. I think the ending's fantastic. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> calm down, guys. Calm down. We're having fun. Okay. All of us, all of us, all of us would run from the wolf if confronted. 
You can take that literally, take it figuratively. Most of us are not laying down our lives for the sheep. Jesus says a good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep, $250. Something that to a person listening would have sounded so inconsequential, Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to give my life for that. That's what it means to be a good shepherd. It's why his opening statement is so powerful, because it's the opposite of what most of us would do in that situation. It's certainly the opposite of what people would do who manipulate others for a living, right? Um, they would certainly not lay themselves down. They're not interested in that kind of self-sacrifice uh, for those who they've, they've gotten to follow them. Um, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock, one shepherd. I think that conspiracies and cults are really effective at what they do um, because they try to convince you that you're going to be part of an exclusive group that not everybody else has access to. That sells. That really sells. You know, they're selling you on gaining the truth, right? Don't you want the truth? Don't you want to have the truth? Or they, they, they sell you on some sort of healing or they sell you on some sort of existential power. You can go clear with the Church of Scientology. There's something that you can have that a select few of people in this world can have. And exclusivity sells, does it not? I mean, open magazines, open your newspaper, watch TV. Exclusivity sells. Luxury homes. Think about country club memberships. Think about box suites. We love the idea that we can have something that's not available to everybody else. That sells, which again, Jesus turns on its head when he says that there are other sheep outside their own flock that belong to him as well. That's not very exclusive, who wants to be in a flock that just anybody can join? I remember when I was a kid and like Sam's Club was first a thing. Do you remember when Sam's Club first came about? Yeah. It's a big deal in my family. I don't know why. It's a big deal. And uh, I remember my, my grandparents got a Sam's Club membership and I thought that was a big deal. You're a member of Sam's Club? I was like, whoa, that's cool. We walked into the Sam's Club and they showed, I'm like, we're members, you know, walking, we're, we're, we're good, we're good, sir, we're members, you know. Anybody can join Sam's Club, right? You go in, you sign the paperwork. I mean, who, you know, that's not very exclusive. You know, that's nothing fancy. When I was a kid, I thought it was fancy. But if you're a part of something that's exclusive, you know, hey, 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 what are we doing letting people in? Jesus tells this story. He's, he's speaking in parable to a group of Israelites who are gathered around them. And, um, you know, Israelites have an interesting cultural history. They, they are a people who have a lot, a lot, a lot of enemies uh, in Jesus' day. You know, their, their cultural identity at the time was very much defined by being a chosen people. They were God's original chosen people. They were the inside group. And their history was defined by fighting against enemies, whether it was Egypt who had taken them captive, or whether it was fighting all the tribes to earn their nationhood and their, and their land, and whether it was being exiled into Babylon or the, their big, powerful empire, neighbors of Assyria and Persia, or, you know, in Jesus' day, being conquered by the Roman Empire. You know, I mean, they, the, the list was long of people that were on the outside. And so the idea of being in this sort of providential pen that God had provided them, this, this safe inside group, that was comforting for the Israelites, and so when Jesus preaches a flock expanding, when he talks about a unified flock of sheep from pastures all over the world, you and I, with our 21st century globally-minded sensibilities, might go, well, that sounds nice. How lovely. Put yourself in their shoes. What are you talking about? You want to open the gates to the, to the pen? You, you want to allow other sheep into our flock? Are you insane? Do you know what happens when we let sheep into our flock? We get oppressed. We get hurt, we get abused, 
And more than that, once you've been included, once you've been through what it takes to make it into the pen, once you've been through the hazing ritual, when you hear that someone is suggesting that we loosen the regulations or that we broaden the invitation, well, that just doesn't sit right, does it? That just doesn't sit right because you earned it and you worked for it. In that Wild Wild Country documentary I mentioned earlier, the Rajneeshpuram, I'm going to say that word like two more times just because I'm impressed I can say it, um, the Rajneeshpuram community in Oregon, uh, I was blown away by the kinds of tasks that uh, these people who were coming to the group would be willing to do uh, for the sake of this guru. Like there was this woman, very highly educated from Australia, up and left her husband and her child, flew to India where the group was at the time, said, I'll, you know, put me to work. I want to join the group. And I mean, she's very highly educated. She probably thought she was going to be, you know, working in an office, doing some sort of, you know, marketing campaign. No, they had her scrubbing toilets for a year. Scrubbing toilets in a, in a hippie commune in India. I mean, those are some toilets to scrub, right? <laughs> and that's a frequent tactic in, in these groups that manipulate and work in exclusivity. They make you earn your place through your own blood and your own sweat and usually your own humiliation as well. But Jesus, Jesus isn't like the other hired hands that we see in the world. Jesus doesn't make us earn a thing. He doesn't sell us on exclusivity. In fact, he takes the cost on himself through his own blood and his own sweat and, yes, his own humiliation. For this reason, the Father loves me, Jesus says, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. And I have received this command from my Father. No one takes it from me, he says. Now, that, that line gives me pause. No one takes my life from me. It's easy to see Jesus as one who was beaten and bruised and taken advantage of by the powers that be at his day. Every time we tell the Easter story, we talk about how unfairly Jesus was treated. And it can be easy to think that, that, that Jesus was taken advantage of, that, that, that he was abused, that, that, that his power was sort of stripped from him. And that's not exactly what happens. That's not what Jesus says happens here. No one takes my life from me, he says. It makes me think of the leaders of these groups that manipulate through conspiracy or through cult. When, when they're backed into a corner, what do they do? Over and over, what do they do? They fight back. Right? I don't have to tell you this. You know, David Koresh, uh, Heaven's Gate, uh, Jonestown, Alex Jones, uh, countless videos of him aggressively confronting people at rallies and um, advocating for violence. Scientology led a rare victorious campaign against the IRS. Are they insane? They did it. They fought the IRS and they won to gain tax-exempt status as a religious organization. And anyone who chooses to leave Scientology is harassed, is abused. At the height of their power, this Rajneeshi cult in, in Oregon, they were in conflict with local political groups in the state of Oregon. So what do they do? They launched a bioterror attack against the city of Dallas, Oregon, and killed over 750 people through contaminating salad bars. Sheila, who was the second in command to Bagram, her name was Sheila, a name that strikes terror into anyone's heart. Sheila. <laughs> Sheila is shown on video saying, I'm not Jesus, I'm not Gandhi. She says, when Jesus says you turn your other cheek, we, we say take both of their cheeks. Oh my gosh. When push came to shove, without fail, these cults and conspiracy peddlers push back frequently to violent ends. That's what happens. 
But Jesus, Jesus is different. Jesus is God incarnate. This is like a basic belief in the Christian faith. Jesus is God here on earth. That means Jesus has the power to move mountains, has the power to still storms. We see these things. Has the power to raise people from the dead. And yet when he's faced with torture and death, his own torture and death at the hands of an unchecked empire, what does he do? He accepts. He simply accepts. Jesus is a terrible cult leader. He is. He's an awful cult leader. Every whip that he allows onto his back, every nail he allows onto his, onto his hands, every drop of spit he allows to touch his skin, all of it is born out of love and out of care for a bunch of rebellious sheep. When we talk in church about Jesus laying down his life, we may have heard this in songs or in prayers, we do so because we have to remind ourselves that Jesus' death and resurrection were a choice. They were not a series of unfortunate events. They were a choice, a conscious choice made by a God so madly in love with us, his rebellious sheep, the whole world over, that he would be willing to accept the absolute evil everything on our behalf. So what do we do with a shepherd that loves us that much, that would make that kind of a choice on our behalf? First, we have to stop and acknowledge that as much as we may hate the idea, we are sheep. Say it with me. Bah! (laughs) You guys are good sheep. (laughs) A little too good. No, kidding. A lot of us hate this idea of being sheep. We hate the idea of, of following and not leading ourselves. We hate the idea of handing over our power to someone else. But the reality is we are all sheep, whether we want to be or not. We all follow somebody. We may think that we're enlightened. We may think we've achieved some higher level of understanding, but the reality is we all follow somebody. We have our favorite news station, our favorite newspaper, our favorite opinion writer, our favorite blocker, right? our favorite podcast, whatever. And we certainly would not think of ourselves as sheep, but when something significant happens in the world, what do you do? Do you sit down and form your own thoughts, or do you go and do you look to see what that person that you respect says about this? Do you go and listen to Sean Hannity or Rachel Maddow or the New York Times or the Washington Post or Wall Street Journal? Do you come to church and listen to your pastor? Oof, that's pressure. All of us, myself included, all of us turn our attention to somebody to tell us, what do I think about this? It's not a bad thing, though, to follow people. I want to be clear about that. It's not a bad thing to listen to people, to look to others who have well-formed thoughts that we even agree with, that maybe we even want to support their views and their vision, their ideas. It's a dangerous thing to do that and not realize you're doing it, though. That's the point. It's a dangerous thing to think that you're independent when you're really not. I've got like this weird thread in front of my face that's flying around. It's dangerous to think that you're not a sheep when you really are. It's okay to, it's okay to follow. It's okay to listen. It's okay to look to other people. It's dangerous to not know that you're doing that. Which leads to the second more critical point this morning. If we can accept that we are sheep, all of us, bah, Choosing our shepherd becomes really, really important. That is the most important thing we can do in our lives, just choosing the right shepherd. Because the wrong shepherd will lead you down a dark path. The more I live, the more I realize that Bob Dylan was onto something. Bob Dylan fans in the room? Yeah, whoo! He says this in one of his songs. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble, you may like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to save somebody. (laughs) Yes, indeed, you're going to have to save somebody. 
Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to save somebody. In this life, we're going to have to serve somebody. It's true. Whether we serve a leader or a conspiracy or a cult or money or our boss or ourselves, yikes. We're going to have to serve somebody. So the question becomes, who better to serve than the one who displays servant leadership, who would lay down his life for the sake of his sheep, who would lead an ever-expanding flock, who would seek out and save the lost, who would offer his blood and his sweat and his humiliation in our place? Who better to serve than a good shepherd like Christ? In a world of conspiracies and cults, of sheep growing ever more disappointed in the hired hands that we find ourselves serving, Jesus offers us a different way, a new path, a new way of living, not built on exclusivity or earned rewards, but rather on grace and mercy and his own self-sacrifice. This Sunday, I hear the shepherd calling my name. Do you? Maybe you've been comfortably at home in the flock for quite some time, and the shepherd's calling you to make room for another. Or maybe you find yourself wandering in the wilderness, and you hear a new voice, and it's unfamiliar, and it's unlike the ones you've heard before, and it's a good shepherd calling you home. The good shepherd is calling all of us to look first to his hand, to look first to his staff, to listen first for his voice, to find leaders in this world and to hold them in a critical eye, to trust and obey the Lord above all others, and to be thankful for a God who would hold us in such high regard. It's good to be a sheep when you've got a good shepherd. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning challenged by the words of your son who when asked what it means to be Messiah offers the image of a good shepherd, one who leads and loves not to abuse us, not to use us, not for his own personal gain. but who leads us and loves us for us, who would lay down his life for us, who would take it up again for us, who would go out into the countryside, find more sheep, find those of us who are lost, find us on our most distant day and bring us back to the fold. Savior who finds strength and mercy and power and grace. Whose thought is always about what's best for us. God, we are tired of the hired hands. We are tired of feeling used and abused. We are tired of looking to leaders time and time again and getting disappointed. hear your voice again this morning. The voice of a shepherd who loves us like no other. Who can lead us like no other. Whose rod and staff are a comfort to us. 
God, we give thanks for this flock. We give thanks that you name us and call us by name. God, we ask that as we continue in worship this morning, as we prepare to leave this place, you would send us out as shepherds too, so that when the wolves come, we would lay down our lives for our sisters and brothers and for you. Lead us into this world, God. Help us to extend your love and your grace and your mercy in your name to a people who need to hear it. Help us to invite them to know a good shepherd. All this we pray and we say in your son's holy and resurrected name. Amen.